stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm going solo to talk about Tesla and whether or not it's signaling a market top. As most of you are probably aware, I think everybody in the investing world is aware, the covering analysts on Tesla have been updating their estimates recently, and that is causing... Um, from what I've seen, some euphoria in the shares. And now because this one stock has taken off, um, a lot of people are comparing it to what happened in 1999 with Amazon. But some of you may not know that story unless you were trading and investing back in the dot-com boom. You may not be aware of what happened at that time. So I wanted to take a look back at what did go on at the end of the dot-com boom, what kind of signals were being sent, and whether or not Tesla and the rest of the market as we know it right now here in 2020 are sending the same signals. So I, of course, had to consult the book on the boom years of uh, the dot-com boom. And it's Maggie Mayhar's Bull, with an exclamation mark, A History of the Boom, 1982 to 1999. And she does devote, of course, several chapters towards the end of the book in how the blow-off in the market happened, how the top finally was hit and what was going on when that was happening. So just a little bit of a background, by the 98-99 time period, there started to be a little bit more accounting questions happening in a lot of companies. Um, There was a lot of stretch to get those earnings and to get double-digit growth. So some new innovations in earnings were happening (laughs) at the end of the 1990s and even um, obviously beyond, but some things were put into place after the bust to prevent it from happening again, the financial accounting shenanigans that happened at the end of the 90s. So there was some of that. Then um, stock options, those were being granted to basically just about anyone who was breathing. So she talks about in the book that the largest 2000 companies by the year 2000, the value of the options granted by those companies went from 50 billion in 1997 to 162 billion by 2000. So dramatic increase in options, which a lot of companies also used as a recruiting tool. And that was all tied into the stock price too. You basically had to have a hot IPO and or a hot stock price after that IPO or just your stock price was going up if you were an older mainline company like a Microsoft because you were using that as a way to get new employees. Like, come work for us where you can get rich. That was the recruitment uh, kind of mantra back in the late 1990s. What was also going on that most people probably don't realize is that uh, there were a lot of share buybacks, which, yes, is a little bit reminiscent of what's going on right now. Um, According to the Federal Reserve, by 1999, in a sample they took of 138 large companies, those companies were spending about 40% of their earnings buying back shares. 
So they didn't have a large corporate tax cut back then to uh, fuel the share buybacks, but 40% or they were spending 40% of their earnings on share buybacks then. So there were a lot of IPOs going on by 1999. Uh, Those were like parties. Companies were taking employees on trips to celebrate the IPO with the IPO money, even though they made no money, all this stuff was going on. And then you had um, Henry Blodgett. So for those who don't know, Henry Blodgett was an Oppenheimer analyst. And he became um, one of their, well, basically he was their internet analyst, which was a new job back then. There were obviously analysts covering technology companies, but by like 1997, 98, they started hiring specifically for um, analysts to cover these new, this new industry, this new area that was, you know, just the internet stocks. And what those included were Amazon, who was selling books on the internet. And then you had um, companies like Yahoo, that was one of the big names, and AOL, another one of the big names. So this was big time in demand. And originally in 1998, Blodgett had like an $80 price target on Amazon, which quickly surpassed that. He raised it to $150. Now you have to remember, Amazon had no earnings at this time. These were simply the analysts going on the hopes or trying to model these companies based on other companies in the industry, either like computer companies or like a Microsoft on the software side. But on internet, um, when they weren't yet, not yet making anything, what did you model the future on? This was all new. So the price targets were a little bit of a wish, perhaps. And so he had 150 dollar price target on Amazon, but he wasn't alone. A lot of the other analysts were, you know, up there a bit. And then um, after that, of course, the stock surpassed the $150 level. And then the question became from inside Oppenheimer, what what is your new price target? It's already surpassed it. So he's tried to model everything. And again, there's no real way to model something that hasn't really happened yet. So he believed that the company was probably worth between $150 and $500 a share. And basically, through kind of a roundabout way, he split the difference on a couple of his uh, models and came up with $400. So, so there was no science behind it in those days. So on December 16th, 1998, he made the $400 call and they basically released it to the public that he was making this $400 call. It got picked up on like Bloomberg and then CNBC was covering it. There wasn't yet, you know, a Twitter stock twits. So it spread slowly through like various stock chat boards and things that did exist. But the stock closed up 20% on that day on just his call to $289. And by January 6th, so only a couple weeks later, that was in 1999, the stock had blown by um, Henry Blodgett's $400 target already. So it didn't take long for the momentum traders to get in there in 1999. Everyone piled in. 
And Amazon uh, was the hottest stock of that time period, even though there were some other hot ones too. But obviously, um, with a huge gain like that, everybody wanted in on it. So when you hear the stories, a lot of people are comparing what's happening with Tesla now with that call by Henry Blodgett of the $400 target. Now, not all analysts back in 1998-99 were calling for $400. There were some who, even once it got up into the $200 range, thought, you know, this is crazy. There's actually no earnings. Yeah, we like the future, but it's still nuts. Some had like $50 price targets on it and were kind of sticking with their guns on that. But here with Tesla, it isn't just one analyst, even though um, it may have seemed like it's just one analyst here, one analyst there over the last week or so that have been raising their estimates because we kind of hearing them in a trickle on CNBC or, you know, on stock twits or something that another analyst has updated. So I took a look at Zacks.com to see what is actually happening with the estimates now. And for 2028 estimates have been raised in just the last week. So it's not just one Henry Blodgett, it's eight Henry Blodgett's of 2020 raising. And there's real earnings that they're raising it to. So Tesla only made 13 cents last year, but that was its first year of having any earnings. So that was a success as far as all the long-term shareholders are concerned who have been waiting for them to actually make some earnings. So to go from 13 cents to 7.52 is huge. It's a gain of 5,884%. And 2021 looks even hotter. Five estimates are up for next year as well, expecting 14.49, which is up another 92%. So they basically went from 13 cents possibly in two years to over $14. And we don't know if this is going to happen. These are just estimates looking forward. But the analysts are pretty bullish with their models. And yes, we can now model this industry and to some extent what Tesla is currently doing because we saw what they did last quarter and we can parse that out to the next at least several quarters, which is where you get the 752. So their PE, and they now have one. This is the first time I've ever mentioned that Tesla has a PE. Their forward PE is 100. So at the time when Henry Blodgett was updating Amazon, let us remember there were no earnings. There wasn't even a PE. So that was all on the hopes and dreams, basically of what Amazon and the internet as a whole could be. And this is, to some extent, for Tesla, also on hopes and dreams about electric vehicles and AI and, you know, self-driving cars. But we do know some of the earnings, at least on the electric vehicle side, and what might come from that. So it's not, in my uh, opinion, quite as dramatic as what was happening in 1999, not as speculative, let's say, 
because it's not just one analyst that everybody like is hooked onto. It is eight analysts that everybody has hooked onto. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that chart because, as I mentioned, Amazon in 1998 into 99 had a similar huge gain. And now you have, um, you know, Tesla also with the huge gain. So, you know, um, it's not that chart reminds me of another stock that two years ago people were saying, oh, this is the top. This one is signaling we're at the top of this rally, this bull market. And that stock, if you remember, was Tilray. Remember the good times with that one? The marijuana stock, T-L-R-Y is the ticker, still trading, but it went IPO in 2018, and three months after that IPO, the shares were up 856% within three months. And then from July through November of 2018, so it did have a pullback quite significantly there after that hot uh, gain. The shares were still up 340%, but also no earnings. This trade is very similar to the Amazon trade in terms of hopes and dreams, no earnings yet, what a new emerging industry, which is the cannabis industry, what that may be in the future. No one knows. How do you model it? The analysts trying to get a handle on what to price, uh, put price targets on these companies. And then we saw the distress and um, what happened to the many of the cannabis stocks over the last year in 2019 once some of this speculation was out. But again, Tilray, no earnings, and it, um, you know, has come way back down and still is not expected to have any earnings. It still has no PE right now. And so that's what makes it a little different than as well than Tesla today. But the people making the call that Tilray was somehow the signal of the top, well, they got that wrong because it was not. But they also, um, you know, it that actually did have more in, in common with what happened with Amazon in 98 than what is happening with Tesla today. So I also took a look at some of the other hot names and some of the concerns about them um, in addition to compare it to Tesla. So I thought I'd look at Amazon itself because they did become kind of the poster boy of, oh, who cares about earnings? Who cares what I pay for the shares? You just have to buy it. And um, for the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, nobody has cared about the earnings. They did not have a PE for quite some time still. Even after the bust, they did they did not make earnings until kind of when AWS came into being and gave them some good cash flow. But today, Amazon is actually trading at one of its lowest PE levels that it's had in, in its history at 70 times. So you can still get Amazon at 70 times. I took a look at Beyond Meat because that was the last kind of crazy hot stock that everybody was asking, why, why is it going up every day? And that one is still trading at 266 times. I also took a look at Ferrari, which is, uh, I guess, a Tesla competitor in the car making, not so much the electric side, but Ferrari ticker race, R-A-C-E, 
is trading at 38 times, but it's only expected to grow earnings and its sales by about 7 to 8% here in 2020. So um, that's something you have to ask as an investor, trading that one at 38 times. So some lessons to learn from uh, what happened at the end of the late 1990s and trying to apply it to what is happening today. I think that's a good exercise to do, um, but it doesn't always fit into the model. That's for sure. So in the late 1990s, something to keep in mind is that in addition to Amazon going kind of crazy, the value investors obviously were out of touch. Um, Buffett was called dumb for not investing in any of the tech stocks, even like a Cisco. And, um, you know, any kind of value investor was down on their luck. The pro managers, the professional managers, hedge funds, mutual funds, they basically had to follow the herd. So as the Dow finally broke out in 1999 to the 10,000 level, that was a big psychological level back in the dot-com boom, the large caps uh, were pulling everything higher. So the S&P and the Dow both hitting new highs. And back then, the large caps included Microsoft, IBM, Cisco, Lucent, AOL, Dell, GE and Walmart. Those were considered the blue chips of the blue. A lot of the other stocks were underperforming, small caps and the industrial or value name big caps like the railroads. You were considered pretty foolish if you bought a railroad in 1999. (laughs) And so it was being driven by these big tech names. So you might say, well, that sounds like today. We're having that happen again. There's FANG out there. And yes, pretty much everyone who's an investor owns FANG. You either own it in the S&P 500, the QQQ, Um, or you own the individual stocks and every professional manager is trying to own FANG. Some of the value are basically locked out of everything except Apple, which isn't so much a value anymore, but used to be. And then even Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway bought Amazon last year. Remember that? So that was a sign that the big managers realize we have to be in these big cap growth stocks or else we will not outperform. We cannot beat the S&P 500 unless we're in them. So that is one of the signs of signals you're getting closer to a market top is when everybody is piling into these select group of stocks. But I caution that this rally, unlike 1999, is driven beyond just a select group of 20 or 30 large caps. Yeah, sure, the fangs have been dominant although not so much last year, but they have been dominating over the last couple of years. And sure, technology has also been dominating, including the semiconductors, the software, um, you know, some of the, the cloud, those names have been hot, but the railroads are back to all-time highs. So <laughs> someone is buying those. Fast and all, which is a big industrial company, ticker FAST, is also hitting all-time highs. A lot of the big industrial names, the um, healthcare names, the big uh, winning retail names, all of them are hitting all-time highs. And some are like the mid-caps 
Um, and even some small caps in certain of those areas are hitting all-time highs. So you can't totally say if you weren't in a group of 20 or 30 stocks, you've missed out because you could pick, um, you know, a basic uniform maker, which has been outperforming some of the semiconductors over the last five years. So this is a different type of rally than the end of the 1990s rally, um, which to me, again, is a sign I don't believe we're at the end here yet, that this Tesla move is not uh, a complete signal that we are at the market high. But uh, the sure thing part of it is getting a little dicey. A lot of people are starting to believe that, you know, the semiconductors or some of these tech names are sure things that Amazon cannot have a 40 or 50 percent pullback here ever, basically, that it, all it can do is go higher. Same with Apple, same with Facebook, although a little less uh, belief in the Facebook end of things because some believe Facebook itself doesn't have what it takes for the next 10 years. Um, but still a lot of beliefs that it's okay to buy any of these stocks, no matter what you're paying for the earnings. So PE is somewhat being thrown out the door here. Tesla is trading currently at a hundred times. So we are discounting the PEs, but again, Something to keep on your watch list if you're thinking like this is the highs, this is the tops. Keep these signals out there on your list and and go through them because this was a good exercise for me to re-look at what happened in 1999. And when you're reading her chapters and you see kind of the craziness that she depicts in there, you are reminded, even if you didn't live through it, of what can go on at a top. And it's not really just one stock that's busting out as Tesla has on this euphoric breakout, um, or it wasn't even just Amazon in 98-99. It's a combination of a lot of speculation, um, some financial shenanigans, um, earnings, uh, kind of trying to uh, boost those. We had the buybacks, which we are getting right now. And then the sure thing type of stocks and the not caring at all what happens with PEs and what you're paying to actually get the stock. And all the professional managers having to pile into these stocks because if they don't, they may not have a job. So we are seeing some of these uh, conditions, but I don't think we're quite there yet. I may be wrong. Maybe this is the top. Nobody can ever pick it exactly correct. And this bull has been running now for, in my estimation, seven years since 2013, since we took out the prior highs. So we have seven years of this bull run. That would be short for a secular bull, which averaged 11 years, but never say never. It's always good to evaluate what your stocks are doing, what the companies themselves are doing, listen in on those earnings calls because uh, actual fundamentals do matter. And we'll see. Are these analysts correct on Tesla? Is this the turn into a whole new innovative company there? Kind of like what AWS did for Amazon and its earnings. We shall see. But 
Only time will tell. So let me recap some of the tickers here. We did talk about Tesla. T-S-L-A is the ticker. And Amazon, A-M-Z-N. Beyond Meat is still out there. And it's kind of making another move here. B-Y-N-D. Tilbury, if you want to go check out some of these cannabis stocks, but they still don't have any earnings. T-L-R-Y. And Ferrari, if you want just kind of, uh, you know, the mainstream type of automaker, That's race, R-A-C-E. And of course, you want to be sure to subscribe here to make sure you're getting all of our podcasts because um, you don't want to miss a single one. Who knows what's going to happen here in 2020, but we're going to be covering all the market action. So subscribe on SoundCloud. I know many of you do. And we're on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. But be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll be back again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.